This episode was created on traditional, unceded Coast Salish territories of the Songhees and Wasanich people. You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journey here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I am your host for today, Max Monday, and I have with me as a guest, Tamara Gonsalves. Yeah, hello, good morning. Um, thanks for having me. Yes, I'm doing a PhD in law, and I'm also a graduate fellow at the Center for Global Studies here at UVic. So the research that you've been doing is mainly on a case study from Brazil. Do you want to uh, tell us about that? Yes. Um, so my objective with this research is discuss gender relations through advertising in Brazil. So I'm looking at a case about uh, supposedly sexist advertising. It was a campaign la- launched in 2006 by one of the biggest beer companies in Brazil. And basically the narrative of this ad is um, a guy who sees a beauty contest and the contest is the Summer Muse uh, contest. And he says, well, if the guy who created the Summer Muse thing was the same guy who created the beer, this beer is called, um, it wouldn't be like this, but like that. And then we are transported to his uh, imaginary world where the same women that was passing by the catwalk in the first scene is produced as bottles in a line of production and delivered to men in different ages. So, And then you see the commentaries of the men receiving the, the women in those packages as beer. And uh, we have comments like, oh, is this an imported good, like an, a special thing? Or even when woman is delivered with a mustache and a guy says, mine came with a defect. And then you see men drinking the beer and receiving the women So this was a very polemic case and resulted in at least four different claims. So consumer protesters before the self-regulatory body in Brazil who dismissed the claim. Feminist groups protested at the federal um, prosecutor office who also dismissed the claim. Sao Paulo State Prosecutor Office uh, proposed a class action and it was also dismissed. And then we have in Brazil an administrative consumer body called PROCON. It's responsible for enforcing consumer law in Brazil. And this body actually imposed a fine on the company. And then the company is now contesting this fine at the the courts. And now we have a very weird situation because the same state court, so Sao Paulo state court, um, had a previous decision on the class action saying, this is not discriminatory. Mm-hmm. We don't see a problem in this. And now um, maintaining the finding posed by Procon saying, well, this is quite discriminatory and it's offensive and we are maintaining the fine. Mm-hmm. So there is a contradictory decision on this case. And that's why I thought it would be fruitful to explore it because they have multiple social actors, different people talking about the case. And, and the ad itself, it's quite... I find uh, interesting in terms of gender representations. So let's start with learning more about consumer law in Brazil. Can you tell us a bit about what is said to be sexist advertising versus what is not and um, how those laws came to be? 
because it doesn't really seem like a thing in uh, in the states or in Canada quite yet. But in, it's fascinating that uh, in Brazil there are laws that say you cannot have discriminatory ads against um, against different genders. Yeah, well, the law is not that explicit. We have in Brazil a federal law, which we call the Consumer Code, generally speaking. It was uh, passed in the 90s. It's a very comprehensive legislation that deals with contracts and everything that you can possibly imagine related to consumer relations and also advertising. And on advertising, we have two different forms of illegal advertisement. One is false or misleading advertising, which is quite easy to identify. And the second one, it's a category created by the law as abusive advertising. And abusive advertising, it's very broad. We don't have a definition in the law. The law just says it can be a discriminatory advertising, an advertisement that promotes violence, explore the initial uh, child-specific process of understanding the world, aging. So we have different things that can be abusive, but we don't have a close definition of what is abusive advertising. Mm -hmm. So we just have this hint that it's uh, discriminatory. And one of my central questions in this research is whether this concept of discriminatory, is it sensitive to gender issues or is it gender blind? Because it seems that in the first uh, decision, it's completely gender blind. And then in the second court decision, you have a more gender sensitive perspective. So the word that is in dispute is really discriminatory. Can discriminatory be sexist? Like, is sexist a category of discrimination or not? So I think that we are in the moment in Brazil, when I see these two uh, contradictory decisions, one from 2012 and one from 2016, there is a negotiation going on mm -hmm. because they explicitly address different things. So, for example, the first one, um, one thing that called my attention in the 2000 decision is that the judge, says, a male judge, of course, he says, I don't see a problem. It might be like a bad taste ad, but I don't quite see a problem on that because... Look, in the Brazilian imaginary, summer, happy time means beach and beer and beautiful women. So actually, even though I, we can count as, as a bad taste ad, this is actually a compliment to the beauty of Brazilian women. Mm -hmm. And plus, the company was just trying to sell beer. They didn't want to offend women. So there was not a clear intention of offending women. And then the second decision in 2016, so in, I think, March, April this year, they said, no, this is super discriminatory. Like, we cannot compare women to beer just because beer is something you consume and dispose. And when we are doing that, we are saying that we can consume women and dispose of them. And this creates an environment of symbolic violence where it's like, okay to treat women as things that you consume and throw away. And this is a form of objectification. So the decisions are quite different. Let's go back to talking about that timeline then. When was the ad created? It was broadcasted in 2006. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have this ad in 2006, and then we have different feminist groups and other groups that are protesting this ad. Can you tell us more about that? Who were the groups that were protesting? Yeah, so we have like, general claims presented to CONAD, 
which mm-hmm. is the self-regulatory body in Brazil for advertising. Okay, so that's many people just kind of coming in and saying, this is offensive, I want it taken off the air. Yeah, and I don't have information. I'm going to Brazil next month to actually try to grab more information on this yeah. because their website just says consumers complain. So I don't know if women complain or men complain. I don't know. So I have to just check who did, but the website says consumers We also had a feminist national network, which I'm also part of it, that it's called Rede Mulher e Mídia. In Portuguese, this means um, like a national network to discuss women and media. And we discuss everything from like representation, um, TV programs and ads. Mm -hmm. And they presented a claim to the federal prosecutor office. But then... um, this claim was dismissed because the person taking care of the case tried to make a meeting between the feminist groups and the company tried to find a, to settle an agreement on that case yeah. and it was not possible and the case was closed so yeah. the reason why it wasn't possible to make a meeting between the feminist groups and the um uh, and the company is just because they butted heads or like why was it impossible to make that meeting well the meeting happened but nothing happened after the meeting okay so at the meeting the women were um asking for a compensation like can the company make a compensation because you know they're broadcasting this in public in the media and in tvs and this is like a public concession how these uh, TVs are not being responsible for that and everything. And it was a very broad claim. Mm-hmm. So I think the, uh, the the federal prosecutor offices couldn't get a very precisely on how to actually make the claim effective. This is my guessing because, again, through the Internet, I just have a general information like the case was closed after the meeting. Yeah. So I hope that in Brazil I'll find uh, documents, more supportive yeah. documents to understand what, what happened there, you know? Mm-hmm. The the meeting that was made between uh, the feminist groups and the company, when was that? Was that in 2006 as well? Yeah, I think so. It was in 2006. For sure. Yeah. Okay, so we have this happening in 2006. Was there anything that happened in between 2007 and the the last uh, case where they were fined in 2016? Yes. Regarding this case, in 2009, the PROCON imposed a fine. They started the proceeding in 2006, but the fine was confirmed just in 2009. Okay. And it was then the company came to the courts to try to cancel the fine, like yeah. not paying the, fa- the fine imposed. We also had the class action promoted by the Sao Paulo Prosecutor Office. Also, I think in 2006, but that had a final decision in 2012. But in this meanwhile, other things happened. So there were other campaigns exploring the same thing with quite offensive images. So, for example, in 2010 and in 2015, for the carnival, the same company made a huge billboards with a kind of a message that many people understood it as like an invitation for rape. (laughs) And then women started complaining through social media. And that was amazing how in 24 hours, the company changed the whole campaign in all 26 states in Brazil and just changed all the billboards and everything. Mm. So that's also something I'm, I'm thinking about in this research in the legal environment, there is so much discussion and contending and the company resisting to admit that was a mistake. But when the thing went viral, 
on the social media, the answer came like in 24 hours. We are so sorry. The director of the campaign was removed. They completely changed everything. So although the, all the process, administrative process and in judicial proceedings, they are public in Brazil, especially regarding like a class action, the discussions there are so hermetic. It's so, it's such a jargon dominated discourse that I wonder if people can really follow what's going on in this kind of case like do people understand the decision when the decision comes out they, they know about it how they hear about it right if it's not a becomes a news somehow and then on the other side when someone complains through social media there is a very fast answer from the company but maybe this is a more unregulated space because you mm -hmm. have if something becomes viral you have simply no control and it's a wider lens as well like it's not just you know the the people of brazil that are complaining it's the people of brazil that are complaining and the whole world is watching that's very fascinating actually that they they've taken so long to address the commercial that they did in 2006 but now that they had this ad it was taken down in 24 hours Yeah, for me, that's an intriguing question. And mm -hmm. I hope that by the end, I'll have uh, more ideas about it. Um, I think also the first ad I'm looking at, it was promoted in 2006. We are in 2016. Mm -hmm. It's still being discussed. And there is a chance, and I, I would say a high possibility, that the company might take the case to superior courts, including the Supreme Court, grounded on the idea of freedom commotion of expression which they say it's protected by the Constitution as category of free speech. So the case might even have more decisions. We don't know what's going to happen. And I hope that if it goes to the Supreme Court, I can have a decision before the end of my thesis completion. But I really don't know because... In Brazil, um, these cases just take so long to be decided, you know? Let's talk more about this company, because it seems like they have been pushing the envelope for a very, very long time. What's the name of the company? Let's uh, let's start with that. Well, the short version of it, it's uh, Unbev. Okay. It's, uh, it stands for Drinking Producers in America. Okay. It's the largest one. It's very, very big. It has many brands, soft drinks, Beer, it's not just beer, so it's a very, very big company. Okay. Umbev. Another hypothesis, and this is more like a communication perspective, not so much in law, yeah. it's related to the bus effect. Yeah. So if it's a good thing or a bad thing, talk about me, it's always good. Yeah. So when it's something so polemic and you have so many discussions, you actually call attention to a specific brand and instead of creating rejection you might even increase consumption just because everybody's talking about it everybody's getting to know although i mean i might say this beer company it's very very famous so they don't need to be recognized like they i don't think this is a kind of campaign looking for recognition or like presenting a new product or something This beer in particular is uh, they produce is coal, and it's a very well known brand and especially very um, common in uh, university students' parties because the price is accessible. Yeah, and they promote they promote huge events like big concerts, big parties, uh, raves, and yeah. things like that. Carnival, you were saying as well. 
Yeah, Carnival as well. Um, mm-hmm. They end up promoting and they have sometimes special campaigns for Carnival or in Rio, we have the place where um, the parades take place mm-hmm. and sometimes they offer special seats okay. for you to have a better view and um, yeah. Let's talk about your history, actually, in activism. So you said that you became aware of feminism and uh, feminist groups when you were in university. Were you already studying law at that point? Yes, I was. I think that from the very early age, um, there were things that I I was never comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So when people say, oh, you cannot do that because you're a girl. You have to sit this way, not that way, because you're a girl. You have to take care of yourself in a different way. And and especially regarding like sexuality and things... um, playing out with that divide you know the prostitute and the mother that we have in brazil when i was especially a teenager i thought you know who are people having sex with because if the guys do have sex and but we are not supposed to have sex so it's just like something that didn't make any sense to me like why women are are treated like that if they're doing the same thing or they have the same desires you know so that always um puzzled me and i was always like i don't understand why is that and one day um i was at the law in brazil uh law takes five years Mm -hmm. uh it's you go from high school to law it's it's a first degree and but it's it's long it's five years yeah and i had a professor and she was a feminist and she invited me to a meeting and when I got there, there were all these, as we call, Jurassic feminists. So they mm. were like the very first feminists in Brazil, grandma feminists, as to say. But there were also young feminists. And just listening to their conversations, I was like, can I be? I, and then at some point I raised my hand and I was like, I want to do that. I want to be part of it. How do I do it? Yeah. And they said, well, you know, feminism is not a club that you join with uh, you with a membership card. Yeah. It's a praxis. It's something that you do every day. So if you want to be part of it, you just have to embrace it and live it in your everyday life. So I think that this was my first contact with it. And then after that, I started exploring and understanding. And I think in 2004, I joined a, ne- uh, a network called Cladeng. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like an international network. We are in 15 countries in Latin America, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, and also in Brazil. So I joined this network. I'm still part of it. And more and more, I think about feminism as a, as an everyday practice because these gender things, uh, they are so much in, embedded in our way we live. Sometimes we don't even think but we are reproducing gender stereotypes and things like that. So it's a constant process of deconstruction, I find. Yeah. When I look back from 2004 to now, I, I see that I have experienced and learned so much. But I, I also feel like I learn it every day because sometimes, like I'm human, I reproduce things I don't want to reproduce. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, it's a constant process of rethinking myself, repositioning myself and understanding the world I'm in. But I think that what I like about the feminism and feminist practice is is the possibility of hope in a sense that, for me, feminism has always the expectation to transform something. Yeah, We want to see something that is wrong 
and we have the commitment to try to make it better and um and I find this beautiful and inspiring. So um, that's I, I, I want to make a better place for people to live where we can respect differences. And I find that the gender differences are very much structural. They are at the base yeah. of, you know, how we live everyday life. So I'm guessing that the, the feminist group that you take part in in Brazil was one of the ones that filed a complaint against this beer company. Am I correct? No. No, interesting. Okay. <laughs> because this feminist group, the Cladeng, it's um at the beginning it was more lawyers, like feminist lawyers. And we did basically like three kind of actions. So we monitor international treaties. So the implementation of international treaties, human rights treaties in the countries through a gender perspective. So we do shadow reports mm-hmm. to UN bodies and um, inter-American um, bodies as well. We do uh, strategic gender litigation okay. and also feminist workshops just to share knowledge inside the network and build our skills and abilities. But the litigation that we generally engage are the more kind of traditional ones, like in subjects like violence against women and sexual and reproductive rights. So one thing that is remarkable, the first case discussed by the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights, where they use the Belém do Pará Convention, it's the convention that uh, talks about violence against women. So mm-hmm. it was the first time the commission used that convention to decide a case was in a case proposed by Brazil. Uh, it was a case about domestic violence, uh, Maria da Penha. And because of that, because of this case that reached the, the international arena, it was possible in Brazil to pass a law on violence against women and domestic violence and start a national politics. So we believe a lot in this litigation, but we are still in a more traditional kind of... We're more and more engaging in other things. So I think I'm not... Maybe in 2015, I think, there was um, a clothes company. They, they made an ad for a pair of jeans and that was so terrible. It was clearly inciting violence Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we made a claim and I I was part of that but I think that in 2006 we were not so tuned Mm. with um, with advertising and media like we operate cladding traditionally operates more in this more traditional but more and more we are discussing like we had a we had a seminar the other day about technologies and women mm-hmm. how to protect ourselves in this environment yeah. right how how do we deal with the violence that was concrete and real in this new environment that is the internet you know what are the tools that we have to protect ourselves do you see in the future uh cladding have to having to file complaints against this company um do you see that happening in the future I don't know, because I think that now we are seeing a conservative, a strong conservative movement, and we have real danger of losing the few rights that we have. So conservative forces are trying to change, for example, the law that protects women against domestic violence. Mm -hmm. They're trying to change the law on abortion, but just to make it impossible like to make it illegal in all cases so we're facing a problem 
I mean, I believe that the symbolic violence presented in an ad is very much related to the real violence. So it's hard to create a hierarchy thing and say one is more important than the other. I don't think it's really that. But I think that now we're facing a a real danger of losing the few things that we have, like legal abortion in case of violence sexual violence so this is and uh, this is more dramatic so i think that in the short term we'll be unfortunately concentrating our efforts in this kind of of action just because we are getting to a point that it's a lot of pushbacks you know yeah. so i think that unfortunately and clouding works on volunteer base work mm-hmm. like we don't receive so it's uh, something that we end up adding up to the other things that we do and uh, so we have limited resources and I see more like uh, possible actions more on like hate speech or violence against women in social media Mm -hmm. through this um, aggressive posting uh, and things like that unfortunately I think that the discussion about and that was actually what made me think more about going through advertising in, in my research because I think it, in a scenario where everything is so dramatic <laughs> and you don't know, even know where to start because everything is going so bad, I think that this can be something. It's important that at least someone is looking at it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the only one doing that in Brazil. I think more people are discussing that um, and I hope that I can add to these conversations, like bring something different. Again, thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV 89.9.